All right. Good morning. How is everyone? Good to see you guys. You guys are uh, more awake than the first service. I mean, I was trying to get the first service going, man. It was like everyone was dead. I don't know what was going on, but good to see you this morning. I want to encourage you to um, pull out your message notes and pull out your Bible or uh, your smartphone, whatever you got, and uh, turn to Luke chapter 12. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12 today, and um, the big topic this morning that we're going to talk about is worry. Does anybody worry? Do we have any worriers in the room? No. No one worries, right? No one worries about today, tomorrow. No one worries about even the past, right? So here we go. We're going to dive into it. I'm really, really encouraged. Um, by this big idea and, and so many amazing truths that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 12. So um, here we go, beginning in verse 22. We're going to read all the way to verse 34. Then we're going to start just unpa- unpacking it one verse at a time. All right, he, speaking of Jesus, he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, <clears throat> do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the, fo- into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat <clears throat> and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, let me give you you a quiz. Nine penetrating questions. You guys ready? Here's the deal. The only rule is you're not allowed to share your answer publicly with those next to you, in front of you, behind you. All right? All right, fill in the blank. Here it is. The thing I'd be most worried about never attaining is... Fill in the blank. The thing I'd be most worried about never attaining is you're the man. Thank you, buddy. I was kind of getting a little tickle in my throat, and I was like, what am I going to do? <clears throat> you guys writing that down? Here's the next one. Fill, fill in this blank. If I could change blank about myself right now, I would... If I could change blank about myself right now, I would. Throughout your life, what have you been most willing to sacrifice for? 
Throughout your life, what have you been most willing to sacrifice for? Here's another question. What has made you the most bitter in life? What can't you forgive? What are you willing to lie for? Here's another one. Where do you turn for comfort? Where do you turn for comfort? Whose approval do you seek? Whose approval do you seek? All right, now here's, here's the last one. Fill in the blank. The thing I'd be most worried about losing is, fill it in. Let me rephrase it this way. The thing I worry about most is blank. All right. Penetrating questions. I hope they penetrated your heart. I hope it got you thinking about you, your life, future, right? I think these questions, if you're honest with these questions, I think it's going to put a spotlight on some things in your life that maybe you, 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 you worry about. Maybe some, some heart idols that you struggle with, right? So let's have a time of confession. Anybody want to have a time of confession? We're not Catholics, but we're going to have a time where you're going to confess, I'm going to confess. So how many of us, I mean honestly, right, the, how many of us can honestly say the sin of worry isn't a problem in my life? Anybody brave enough to raise their hand on that? I didn't think so. I didn't think so. Right? We all struggle with worry. Everyone, to some degree, battles anxiety. It doesn't matter. I mean, if you've got a pulse, if you're breathing, you're going to struggle with anxiety. You're going to struggle with worry. Right? And it could be lots of things you can worry about. Worry about your marriage. Worry about your kids. Worry about money. Worry about, you know, that, that next career move, the next pay raise scale. Worry about responsibilities. Worry about the future. So many things we worry about. You know, I like what Claude McDonald said. He said, worriers spend a lot of time shoveling smoke. Shoveling smoke. You know, people who shovel smoke, it's just a waste of time. You can't shovel smoke, Right? Um, there was one man that said, my life has been filled with terrible tragedies, most of which have never happened. Isn't that good? I mean, that's, that's true of us, right? How many of us, let's be honest, how many of us worry and fret and we get anxious about things that never, ever happen? I mean, we waste so much energy, so much time worrying about things that never Come to fruition. Let me give you a good, simple definition of worry. If you're taking notes, I, it's not a fill in the blank, but let me give you a definition. Worry is a misunderstanding of who God is. Let's start there. Worry is a misunderstanding of who God is, and it's also a misunderstanding of what he has promised. It's a misunderstanding of who he is, his character, his nature, his attributes, and it's a misunderstanding of what he has promised. Here's the deal. Let's just get to the nitty-gritty. Let's get to the bottom of the barrel, right, where the rubber meets the road, right? If we knew God more, if we knew God more, knew who he was and knew what he promised, we wouldn't worry so much. 
Here's what we would do. Yes, we would still worry because no one's perfect except Jesus. But we would rest in God's amazing love and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and sovereignty and providence. We would just rest in God because God has a, has a big heart. He's a big-hearted father, right? He's good to us. Worry is really a fear of the future. When you boil it down, that's what worry is. The Bible is really clear. Worry is a sin, but worry is a fear of the future. The future is completely unknown to us. It, does it, can anybody tell me the, what your future looks like? Can anybody tell me what's going to happen tonight in your life? Next week, next month, next year, a decade from now? We don't know. It's unknown to us. You know, walking by faith is like, as we move forward by faith, it's like, a, I think Jerry Bridges said that walking by faith is like a, a sheet in front of us. You can't see in front or around. You just see the sheet, and as you move, the sheet moves. That's what it means to walk by faith. You can't see the future. As you're walking with God, the sheet moves with you, right? Worry is fear of the future. You and I, we try to um, control the future. That's what we do. We worry. Then we say, oh, well, you know, if, if, if I move to action, if I do something about this, then, then maybe I can control the situation. Only God is big enough to control the situation. Only God knows the future. Only God can work a million details to bring about good in your future and to put a spotlight on his glory. When it comes to walking with God, we can, we really, it comes down to two choices. We can, we can choose fear or we can choose faith. Worry is, close, is very closely tied to fear. You start worrying, you start fearing. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. When you lean on human wisdom, when you lean on your thoughts, you will quickly drift into fear. You're relying on human wisdom about your life, about the future. So you're, you're going to go down. You're going to take the road called fear. Or you could take the road called faith. You can trust God with your heart. To the Hebrews, heart was the core, the essence of who you were. It's, it's the seed of everything. The seed of your volition, your emotions, your affections. Trust God with all of your being. Trust his perfect wisdom and his perfect love. You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to take all of our worries, all of our troubles, all of our burdens, all the junk that weighs us down. And he wants us to put it in a bucket and walk that bucket and give it to Jesus and say, Jesus, here's all my troubles. Here's all my worries. Here's all my burdens. And Jesus will take those burdens off of your shoulders, right? I mean, in 1 Peter, Peter tells us, right, that we can cast our anxieties on him. Literally, God can shoulder your problems. He can shoulder your burdens. He can take care of your worries. Why? Because Peter tells us, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The God of this universe knows your name, knows everything about you. The God of this universe wants to shoulder the burdens. He, de he didn't want you carrying them. He wants to carry them. Can I get amen? amen? He wants to take your burdens. That's personal. 
He wants to take your worries. He wants to carry those things for you because he cares for you. Sometimes we think about the love of God, but in the context of for God so loved the world, and yes, he loved the world, the cosmos, every person who was ever born, God has this relentless, passionate, pursuing love for every person who's ever been born. But he has this crazy love for you as an individual. He wants to move and work in your life. He wants to take your burdens and your worries. Let's, let's read again what Jesus said, verses 22 and 23. He said to his disciples, so that's his audience, and he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Here's point number one, if you're taking notes. Worry is a result of a wrong focus in life. We're going to unpack that in a moment. But really, that's what worry is. We, we, we get this wrong focus, right? Wrong focus in life. In verse 22, I don't know if you notice it, but it says that Jesus said to the disciples, therefore I tell you. So the word therefore is a connecting word. Anytime you see the word therefore in your Bible, you need to ask yourself this question, why is it there for? It's there for a reason. It's connecting you. It's a, it's, a, it's a word that builds on something. It's connecting you to the previous passage. It's there for a reason. You can't understand this passage on worry unless you back up and see context. So everything hinges. Therefore, well, what was he just talking about? Well, let me explain it. Look at verse 15. Jesus gives a warning about covetousness. He says to them, take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness. What, what, what does it mean to have a, a covetous heart? It means to desire something that doesn't belong to you. To want something that someone else has. A co- having an attitude of covetousness is very selfish. God, what you have given me is not enough. I'm not content with what I have. I want more. That's like a kid saying to mom and dad, what you have done, what you're giving is not enough. I want more. That's devastating as a parent. Can you imagine how devastating that is when we do that to God? I, I do that all the time. I do that all the time. One of the things in my life that I've been battling for, for a long time is um, I'm passionate about the gospel. I want to see lives changed. I, I want to see families, broken families restored. And I, I want influence for the gospel, right? And so, so I'm not content with our, our church you know, being two, three hundred. I, I want our church to be bigger. You know, I want to have more staff and more programs. And I want to make a, a greater, bigger dent for the gospel in our community, in our city. That's something that I struggle with. And so I have to be really careful that, that I, I don't say to God, God, I'm not content. God wants us to be content, not to, not to have this covetousness, right? And then he says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus tells a parable, earthly story, driving home a spiritual point, and he tells this parable of, it's called the parable of the rich fool. And let me summarize the parable for you real quick. It's about a a farmer, a a rich farmer that actually gets richer. So this guy, I mean, business is good. Business is booming. This guy is buying more land, hiring more employees, 
more contracts, more money, more harvest, more sales, more, I mean, everything's great, right? He decides to tear down all of his old barns, you know, maybe some of these barns that functionally they're great, but yeah, they just don't look good, right? And he builds bigger barns. He expands um, the capacity to store all of his crops. And instead of sharing the blessings with other people, what does he do? He hoards. He's not generous. He's a hoarder, right? And so Jesus, at the end of the parable, he just drops this bombshell on him. In, in Luke 12, 21, in your notes, should be in your notes, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this idea of, of, of you could be rich towards yourself or you could be rich toward God. This is a spiritual focus here. This guy... He was rich toward self. I mean, he was making the investment for him, but he was not rich in faith towards God. He was laying up treasure for himself. He was not investing. He was not laying up treasure toward God. And see, in life, you have a choice to make. You can lay up treasure for yourself, or you could make the investment and invest in things that are eternal, that are out going to last you Things are out going to live out. What am I trying to say, guys? Things are going to outlast you and outlive you. Sometimes I get tongue-tied up here, you know? So what are you investing in, right? I mean, I think some people are pursuing riches and they're laying up treasures for themselves instead of loving God. People are pursuing money. They're chasing the dollar more than they're chasing God. People are valuing money, more than they value people and relationships. Jesus, on one occasion, he said, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God in money. So Jesus was saying, listen, here's how deadly money can be in your life. It's a master, and if you let money control you, if you let money be your master, I can't be your master. Like, like I can't, money as a master doesn't share space with me. And so instead of holding on to money with a death grip, right, we need to pursue Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, idolatry, I think Jesus is touching on idolatry, that idolatry is putting your focus on something or someone more than God. An idol of the heart dethrones God. An idol of the heart can be anything. It could be pleasure. It could be sex. It could be entertainment. It could be comfort. It could be a person. It could be something that you bought, right? What is that thing in your life that is all-consuming that drives you? That literally you would say, man, that, that kind of has a foothold. That has some control in my life. If, if you can pinpoint those things, that's an idol of the heart. And an idol strip God of his rightful position in your life. And idols, you know, idols are basically like God, like you don't deserve to be king. I'm going to be the king. I'm going to be the king of, of this person's life. Jesus is, is literally giving context about money and covetousness. And then he drives home some very awesome truths about don't worry about your life. He says in verse 22, stop being anxious. That's not a suggestion. Like that, that's a command. Don't be anxious. And he gives some examples in, in the passage we read. He said, do not be anxious about your life, 
what you will eat, what you're going to drink, nor about your body. So let's talk about that for a moment, right? Listen, in life, we got to have balance. You know, if you're out of balance, just like a tire, when a tire is out of balance, it's no bueno. It's not good for the tire. It's not good for the car. You feel that, right? And so it's not good to be out of balance when it comes to, like, spiritual things, especially worry. Worry about things that you shouldn't be worrying about. We all know people that are just consumed, consumed with what they look like, their appearance, their weight, their weight size, like, you know, what kind of clothes they wear, the brand names. Like, listen, I got four teenagers, man. Like, I got four teenagers. I, like, I understand, like, what that's all about, especially the brand, the brand name clothing. Here's the deal, man. I try to tell my kids, like, you just need to be like your dad. You just need to get all your clothes at Costco. That's what you need to do, <laughs> right? <laughs> Quality, great price. Now, listen, I'm not rocking Kirkland shoes, okay? I mean, I'm rocking some Nikes, right? I'm not buying Kirkland shoes. But I will say this. You know, here, here's another thing. People, sometimes they get down Target or whatever, certain stores. And here's the deal. If you buy a shirt from Target and someone asks you, well, where did you buy that? That looks really good. Oh, I bought that from Nordstrom. You know, that's, Nord, that's, that's Nordstrom. I've never had someone come up to me and check my tag and be like, where'd you get that from? Where'd you get that from? You know? Um, so here's the deal. It's about balance. Is your life consumed with the gym? Is that all you think about? Is it you dream, dream about? It, do all your meals revolve around that? Are you just obsessed with a certain weight, a certain look, a certain appearance? Listen, those things are good. I mean, good night, man. I'm trying to trim down right now. I'm trying to get weight off me. Because the height of my heart is comfort. I like comfort, man. I like comfort food. I'm working on that heart idol. So, somebody left. What's the deal? Did I, am I bringing conviction or what? Am I bringing conviction on food or what? Listen, I'm not the only one. I know some of you guys like food too. Stop. But here's the deal, right? Don't allow those things to drive you. They shouldn't be number one factor. It shouldn't be top priority. Balance is good. Working out is good. Eating better is good. All those things are good. But when it comes to just your life, Jesus is like, listen, man, your life is not about what you wear, what you look like, you know. Listen, the Bible says true godliness is of the heart. It's the inward. It's not the outward, right? It, it's, it's, but I think sometimes we put more stock in the external. We put more stock in the external because that's what people see. Rather than developing a heart that's close to God, that, hey, people may not see that. Oh, they're going to they're experience that over time. But they may, that's not visible. That's not immediate. We need to be focused on pursuing Jesus rather than, you know, having that muscle mass or, or whatever. Balance. It's all about balance. Life is more than what you wear, what you own, bills you pay, job, job you work at. Life is about wrapping your identity in Christ. Your life is, should be anchored in Christ. He's your identity. He's your hope. He's your strength. He's your shelter. He's the one that you're pursuing. Actually, the word worry 
in the Greek is a compound word. It, it literally means divide in mind. It speaks of someone who has a divided mind. It, it reminds me of um, um, Martha and Mary and, and Lazarus. I love this family. Jesus loved them. He would often go to their house and have barbecues with them, kosher barbecues, you know, they're Jewish. And what's so amazing about this family, they were very close to him. He would often retreat there to Bethany near the Mount of Olives, and um, Jesus would go see them, and he would spend time with them. On one occasion, um, he sees them, and Mary is in the living room, and she's literally sitting at his feet. Martha, her sister, she's in the kitchen, and uh, Mary is listening to every word, hanging on every syllable. Martha's in the kitchen. She's working. She's sweating. She's over the kitchen stove. She's prepping this amazing seven-course meal. I mean, she's just working it up, you know, the salad, the bread, the roast, the potatoes, the, the hot fudge Sunday after the meal, everything. She's, she's a little bit perturbed because her sister, um, because um, she, well, Martha is a little bit perturbed who's in the kitchen because she views worship as service. So she's worshiping Jesus because in how she serves Jesus. But Mary, her sister, views worship as spending time with Jesus. Martha gets a little irritated and says, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care, Jesus? I'm sweating in here. I'm tired. I'm, I'm trying to serve everyone. My sister, she's lazy. She's not doing anything. What does Jesus say? He said, Martha, Mary's done what's needful, but you are distracted. The word distracted in the story is worry. He said, you are worrying. Jesus is saying, Martha, you have a divided mind. You want to serve me and prep this meal, but then you also want to be with me. Martha, you have to make a choice. You're divided. Sometimes in life we're divided. We're divided when it comes to anxiety and fear. We want to trust God. We want to believe that he's good, that he's going to provide, he's going to be faithful. He's, going to, he's in control. But then we drift into fear. And, and, and we give into anxiety, the anxieties of our heart. And, 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 and we worry, is, is God really good? Are, are his promises true? Will he, will he forever be with me? Will he, ever, will, will he always provide? You know, Jesus gives two illustrations about worry. One is about the ravens. In verses 24 to 26, he talks about, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you? I think that's key. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? You know, Jesus, he's this master communicator. And, and he has this, this ability to take ordinary picture, pictures and symbols and, and to drive home a spiritual point. So here's what he does. He goes from the lesser to the greater. He says, hey, listen, consider the ravens. Man, they, they don't gather. God feeds them. He takes care of them. He's good to them. If God's going to take care of the birds, he's going to take care of you. Sometimes we, we, we fail to see that. God, in his power, in his uh, wisdom, created all of creation. And within this creation, he has this beautiful creation, and then we are the, the pinnacle of his creation. If God's going to take care of his creation, birds and the animals, surely he's going to take care of us. We're more valuable than, than the ravens. 
Jesus said, and, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? You know, someone has said that when you borrow troubles from tomorrow, worry is the interest you pay today. How many times do we borrow from tomorrow? We're borrowing from tomorrow, borrowing from tomorrow, but we're paying an interest. There's a, there's a price to be paid. Charles Spurgeon said this, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strengths. You know, we fret and we worry about things that are completely and utterly out of our control. Things that will never, ever happen. You know, worry is a sin because when we worry, basically we're not trusting God. We believe that, you know what, if I worry, if I fret, you know, then I can, I can solve my problems. But we can't. I think worry drives us to deeper despair. The more we worry about something, the more we put ourselves into a very, very, very dark hole. And, we, and, and eventually, we feel like, we feel like that there is no light, that God is not working, God has abandoned us, God is, he's not in the tunnel with us, it's dark, where it's full of despair. But listen, you can't fix your problems. You have to trust God. We have to trust God. And we have to believe that God is good. He gives us a, a second illustration about the lilies and how they grow. He said they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So he's talking about ravens. He's talking about lilies. I don't, I don't want to get hung up on it too long. But he's like, hey, do you remember like Solomon, King Solomon, the guy, like everything he touched turned to gold because really it was God's blessings and favor on his life. Solomon, wisest king to have ever lived. Outside of Jesus, wisest man to have ever lived. King Solomon, he had the gardens and the vineyards and the palaces. He wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. He wrote scripture. This guy had a lot of stuff in his life. At the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, which is the last book he wrote, he summed up life by saying two things. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's what Solomon said. Jesus is using Solomon as an example. Hey, like Solomon had some really cool threads. I mean, he was the king. He had everything. But man, he's got nothing on the lilies, these beautiful flowers. In verse 28, Jesus ends by saying, oh, you of little faith. That's the issue of worrying. Worry crowds out faith, strips us of faith. Look at verse 29 and 30. Jesus says, and do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations, notice that word there. You could underline it, circle it. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Here's the next point. Worry is a result of a lack of faith that God will provide for our needs. That's what it is. It's a lack of faith. He says the nations, you know, the unbelieving world, the unbelieving world, people in your oikos that don't know Christ, they worry about those things. They worry about their life and, you know, their job and money and the future and they, they worry about all these things, you know, not getting sick, all these things. Here's the big point Jesus is making. I think Jesus is saying, be different from those who don't believe in me. Live a different life. Be different. Act different. Talk different. Like your life, there should be a, um, your focus should be shifted on me, 
You should be trusting me. And I think that gives great credibility to the gospel. When you're living out your faith and you're trusting God in the midst of bad things, trials, sorrows, heartaches, disappointments, shattered dreams, life's not turning out the way you thought it would. I mean, all these things that sometimes roll into our lives, when you can face that with faith and trust and believe that God is good, people around you that don't know Christ, they're going to see that. That's going to make them wonder because that's not normal. That's, that's having a, a mind that's set on Christ. That's having a heart that's focused on Jesus. That, that's a life that's been changed by the gospel. And so lost people are going to be like, man, like, how can you go through that with so much peace and so much grace and you still have joy? Like the song we sang, you have joy in the midst of chaos. You have this peace that like can't be explained and gives you a great inroad to share the gospel. Luke chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus says, instead, so I, lo- I love that. I think that one word right there changes everything. So he's like, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, all this stuff. Instead, so he's like, now I want you to shift your focus. I want you to have a change of mind. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Here's the next point. The cure for our worry is yielding control of our lives to God. That's the cure. That's the cure for our worry. The reason I say that's the cure is because Jesus said that's the cure. He said, don't be enamored, fixated, focused on the earthly, focus on the eternal. Don't get all wrapped up in the material. Get your heart right and focus on the spiritual. He said, seek the kingdom. And these things will be added to you. I want you to jot this down. Not fill in the blank. Jot it down. I think it's key. Here it is. The key is focusing on the kingdom. Focusing on the kingdom. That's the key. He said instead, seek his kingdom. I think as human beings, we are so broken simply that we, our focus is us. I, me, mine my kingdom. And Jesus is like, listen, get your, get your eyes off of your kingdom and your, your preferences and your opinions and your wants and what you want for your life and get your focus on me. Get your focus on me. Listen, I don't want to waste my life. Does anybody want to waste their life? Anybody want to waste their life? I don't want to waste my life. You don't want to waste your life. How do you not waste your life? You seek the kingdom. You focus on something that's bigger than you. You focus on something that's greater than you. You you prioritize your life to advance God's kingdom. Listen, why did you get saved and Jesus not beam you to heaven immediately? Because he's got a plan for your life. He's got works for you to do. He's got an awesome, wonderful plan And that plan involves the kingdom, the mission. As as believers, we have been given a mission, and we have a mission because the church has a mission. You would have no mission unless the church had a mission. 
The mission of the church, which by the way, no one gets to vote on the mission of the church. There's a lot of churches that, that you, know, you know, they focus on those seven words. We've never done it that way before. Wrong. Churches focus on, we're going to reach the affluent people. We're going to build a church just for the rich people. Wrong. Our church is going to be about traditions. We're just going to hold to traditions. Wrong. Doubly wrong. We're, we're just going to be all about programming. Wrong. The mission of the church is go make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The church has a mission to take the good news, the gospel, to a hurting world, to a world that's hurting, to a world that needs Christ. And if the church has a mission, you, my friend, have a mission. And your mission is a partnership with Jesus. The mission is the gospel. Christ lives within you. The spirit that raised him from the dead indwells within you. God lives within you. He's with you. So when you share your story, when you share the gospel, God is at work. God is at work. When I think about the kingdom, when I think about being kingdom-minded, when I think about an earthly kingdom, I think of like um, uh, geographical boundaries and lines, right? It's very clear. This, this is the kingdom, and those who are part of that kingdom, they're kingdom citizens. Well, that's an earthly kingdom. As believers, we're part of a spiritual kingdom. And this kingdom is not of this world. That's what Jesus said. It's not of this world. So Jesus is the king of this kingdom. And we, by faith in Christ, are a part of the kingdom. We're a part of the kingdom, the family. And we know that someday, based on the book of Revelation... Christ is going to come. He's going to come and he's going to set up his kingdom for a thousand years. A thousand literal years. The millennial reign of Christ. He's going to rule and reign while on earth for a thousand years. After there's been a seven year tribulation. When God's going to pour out his wrath against humanity. That's going to happen, happen after, I believe, the rapture of the church. I believe in a twinkling of an eye, in a moment, the trumpet will sound. Christ is coming back. As the church, we will be caught up. We will meet the Lord in the air. We will forever be with him. So I believe that he's coming back for the church someday. We are awaiting Christ to come back. Then there's going to be this seven-year tribulation, intense fury and wrath. And then there's going to be this 1,000-year reign the dragon, the enemy, he's going to be bound for a thousand years and Christ is going to rule and reign on earth for a thousand years and we as believers will be a part of that. Now, that sounds awesome, doesn't it? I mean, he's going to rule and reign perfect righteousness, perfect peace for a thousand years. If you don't believe me, Revelation chapter 19, go read it. Revelation 20, go read it today. It'll blow your mind. Some people will say, well, that already happened. Hogwash. There, there, there's a Greek word for that. Baloney. Baloney. I believe that it's future. I believe it's literal. It has not happened. It is going to happen. Here's why. Well, I don't have time to chase that. But, okay. Let me give you a greater reality than that. Because, listen, I want to be a part of that. A, a thousand-year reign 
on earth? A thousand years. I mean, think about that for a moment. You're gonna, people who were born during that time, they're going to be like, they're going to be like teenagers for like 250 years. <laughs> That's crazy, dude. <laughs> can you imagine? I mean, there's so many things that I, we can talk about. But there's a greater reality than that, and that reality has already happened. We're looking forward to something in the future that there's a greater reality. Here's the reality. Christ, the hope of glory, lives within you. He is ruling and reigning, or he should be. He should be ruling and reigning in your life right now. Does Christ have supreme worth, supreme position? Does he have the supreme chair in your life? We can't get excited about this future reign. Christ is going to be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. Perfect righteousness, holiness, justice, peace. If we're not willing to let him rule and reign in our hearts today, because Christ defeated the, de- defeated the grave and the enemy and conquered death, we should surrender all to him. What is the promise? Christ said, if you seek the kingdom, everything will be given to you. Look at verses 32 and 34. We're going to wrap up. Give me like two minutes. Here we go. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, fear not, little flock. Like, if you're a believer, you are a part of that flock. We are sheep as believers. And if we are sheep, then there has to be a shepherd. The Bible says, you look over the landscape of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, it's so clear that God is our shepherd. God is our shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, which I love that, by the way. You know, a shepherd is there to lead and guide and feed and protect the sheep from any danger, from any wolves. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I give my life for you. He's such a good shepherd, he's saying, listen, I guide you, I lead you, I feed you, I protect you. See, when the wolf, when the enemy comes into our lives or troubles or worries, he runs, he runs into battle. He, he's running, he's facing it head on. He's not like a hired hand. He's not, you know, finding exit or how to get out of here. Or, he's not abandoning the sheep. He's, he, he's protecting the sheep. So we are the little flock. God is the shepherd. So you might... You might ask yourself this question, well, how, what is Jesus saying here? What is he saying in these verses? Here's one very big thing that he's saying, and I want you to see it. He says, fear not, don't worry about your future, about your life, because your identity is wrapped in me. 
you're anchored to me. You're the little flock. You're the little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So how can you live radical lives of generosity? How can you, how can you be about service? How can you love other people? How can you, you know, have this mindset? You know what? I'm not going to worry about today or tomorrow or my future. I'm, I'm just going to keep pursuing Jesus. I'm going to keep loving Jesus. How can you have that mindset? Because listen, the eternal kingdom that is forever and ever and ever is yours in Christ. There's no greater motivation. There's no greater truth that should capture your heart. The eternal kingdom the Father gives to you because of what Christ accomplished on the cross is a forever gift, a forever kingdom. So don't get all wrapped up in this kingdom and this world and what's earthly and material. No, no. Keep your eyes focused on the spiritual kingdom. Keep your eyes focused on the eternal kingdom, which is yours because of what Jesus accomplished at the cross for you 2,000 years ago. Our eternal home is a gift that the Father gives to us because the Son's death because he was pleased with his son's death. You have been given, I have been given the greatest gift, the gift of life beyond the grave, to be a part of that kingdom that never ends. Let's pray.